Welcome to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We're excited you've joined us as we hear what God has to say to us through Scripture and this message from Pastor Paul. What do you want Jesus Christ to do for you? If he were to sit down right next to you and ask you that question, what do you want him to do? These last few weeks, we've been looking together what Jesus Christ came to do. We found out that although he was the best teacher to ever walk the face of this earth, the main thing that he came to do was not to teach. Although Jesus did some incredible miracles, some very incredible miracles, he didn't center what he came to do around those miracles. Jesus Christ came first and foremost to bridge the gap between us and God, to focus us on God. And in order to accomplish that, he had to change some things in people's lives. That's what he came to do. He came to give freedom to people who were trapped. He came to give forgiveness to those of us who feel guilty. He came to give a future to those of us who are hopeless. In John chapter 9, we're going to see how Jesus came to bring light to the dark places as we look at the story of a man born blind. All of his life, he couldn't see. All of his life, he suffered from physical darkness and the inability to see. And Jesus Christ comes into his life and helps him see, not only physically, but also spiritually. As we look at the story of this man's life from John chapter 9, the first few verses, Jesus heals him of physical blindness, but Jesus takes the rest of the chapter to do something even more important. That's to heal him of spiritual blindness, to allow him to truly see for the first time. The story of this man is really how God can help you see something like you've never seen before. It's the story of how God imparts faith into our lives. Now, to make this real, to make this of the most benefit for you, let me ask and you reflect, what would you love to be able to see God do in your life? To benefit from this story, try to put yourself in the place of this blind man. Okay, he was born blind, all of his life been unable to see, probably a beggar for all of his life because of this. And don't you think that every day of his life, at least once during the day, he must have thought, what would it be like to see? What would that be like? How would my life be different? What would you love to see in a spiritual sense, in a personal sense? What would you love to see? Things that you want, but you just can't see how they can possibly happen. Maybe it's, I'd love to see my marriage get better. I'd love to see myself as a person of faith. Others talk about their faith so easily, I just don't see it. I'd love to see my life used by God. I'd love to see myself filled with joy. I'd love to see me reconciling with my children. What would you love to see? Let's take notice of what happened to this man of John chapter 9. Things happened that helped faith come into his life. We're going to see those. John chapter 9, beginning at first verse. As he, that is Jesus, went along, he saw a man blind from birth, his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Either this man sinned or his parents sinned. Those were the only options the disciples grew up with. 
It's the belief that all sickness is the result of a person's sin. So if a person is sick, they've done something wrong. Now, that's not right, but that's all the disciples knew. That's what they grew up with. So they look to Jesus and they say, all right, here's this man. He's been blind since birth. Was that blindness a result of a sin his parents committed? Or was it something this man did? Or because he was born blind, was it something that God knew about his future that he was going to do wrong? So let's go ahead and strike him blind from birth. Even with that question in mind, the disciples have the realization that it must be a sin in his life that caused the blindness. Well, their faulty thinking trapped them into seeing this man's situation as completely hopeless. That's what closed-door thinking does. It traps us. Closed-door thinking sees two options, either this man or his parents sinned. We know about closed-door thinking maybe all too well. Either I have to take this job that I know I'm going to hate, or I have to face bankruptcy. Either I'm going to get a divorce or I have to face the rest of my life in a miserable marriage. Either I'm going to feel guilty about the wrongs that I've done in my life, or I'll become a Christian and then have no fun ever again. That's not right, by the way, but that's the kind of thinking we trap ourselves into. And if you're a victim of closed-door thinking, and we all victimize ourselves with this from time to time, the number one way you feel is trapped. Trapped in a bad marriage, trapped in a bad work environment, trapped in a bad life. And it begins to make you ask questions like, why me? What have I done to deserve this? Where is God when I need Him? Look at what Jesus had to say about closed-door thinking. Verse 3. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus said, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Or hear this very same verse from the message translation. Jesus says, you're asking the wrong question. You're looking for someone to blame. There's no cause effect here. Instead, look for what God is able to do. Begin to see that job you struggle in as an opportunity for ministry to other people who are struggling in that same job. Begin to see that marriage you struggle in as a place where God could bring healing. Begin to see sickness, this man's sickness, remember Jesus said, not as a result of sin, but as something that's going to glorify God. It's an entirely different way of thinking. This is God's option, this third option. It's He can change everything. Only God can change what you and I cannot change. Sometimes He changes the circumstances, like He's going to do in this man's life in a few moments. But it seems more often He changes our hearts. When you're in that either-or trap, Begin to look for an option from God that's so radically different that it can only be from Him. This man had heard Jesus and His disciples talking, and Jesus walks up to this man and begins to talk with him and invites him into a different way of looking at life, a different kind of faith. Verse 6, after saying this, Jesus spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. 
Go, he told him. Wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seen. What amazes me about this verse 7 is what had to happen in the middle of it. Between Jesus saying, go and wash, and the man returning with sight, imagine this man leaving Jesus saying, go and wash my eyes. I've done that a thousand times before. He probably even washed in this pool before. I can just imagine what it was like for this blind man to make his way through those city streets against all the obstacles, the the people, the marketplaces, the carts selling their wares in the middle of the streets and animals wandering around. And yet when Jesus has him go down to the pool, a miracle occurs. And look at how this miracle started. Jesus, in effect, tells him, I want you to do something very ordinary. I want you to walk through the streets that you've walked through before. Wash your eyes that you've washed before. And did you notice that this miracle takes place when this man does something very ordinary, but in obedience to God? This is not the first time that this has happened in the Bible. When God wanted to separate the waters of the Red Sea, he said to Moses, hold up a stick. That's a pretty ordinary thing, wouldn't you agree? When Jesus wanted to feed over 5,000 people, he got a boy's lunch, a little bit of fish, a little bit of bread, and he multiplied it. Something very ordinary became very miraculous. Or the time that God wanted the walls of Jericho to fall down. So what does he do? He tells the Israelites, walk around those walls and blow your trumpet at it. Now, do you think the blow of the trumpet is what knocked the walls down? No, it was God. But their obedience allowed God to work a miracle through them. Are you willing to do something ordinary, but in a way, in a way that really says, I'm dependent on God for this one Not on me, but for God. So maybe it's a phone call or a a letter, a text, an email to restore a relationship. Maybe it's praying for something for the first time, really putting it in God's hands. Something ordinary is talking, but you're placing it in God's hands. Maybe it's making an appointment to see a doctor or a counselor. And maybe you're thinking, this isn't going to work. I'm sure that was what the blind man was thinking as he was making his way through those streets to the pool. But isn't it amazing how God will take even the smallest steps of faith with doubtful people like you and me and make incredible differences in our lives? Now, two warnings about these first steps of faith. Warning number one, don't confuse the method with the miracle. Don't think that the method used is why the miracle happened. In this case, Jesus, what did he do? He spit on the ground, he made mud, and he placed it on the man's eyes. If this man had confused the method with the miracle, he might conclude, it was the dirt. i got to get my hands on that dirt. If I can just find exactly where Jesus dug that dirt with his hands, I can use that to then heal other people of blindness. You read the Bible, you find out that Jesus healed people in lots of different ways. He even healed people of blindness lots of different ways. To one, he said, be healed, and he saw instantly. 
to another, he said, be healed, and that person slowly regained their sight. To another, he put mud on their eyes. That's number one. Don't confuse the method with the miracle. Number two, don't confuse your participation with God's power. Yes, God invites Moses to hold a stick. Yes, God invites the children of Israel to blow a trumpet at the walls of Jericho. Yes, God invites this man to walk down to a pool, but make no mistake, it was God who was doing the work. It was their step of faith in listening to him that made the difference, but they knew that God would get all the credit. As you and I look at what this man went through and the sense of desperation he must have felt, Psalm 70 verse 5 holds a lot of truth. It's a psalm written by David. He's crying out to the Lord and he says, But I am in deep trouble. Rush to my aid, for only you can help me and save me. Have you ever felt that way? I need help and I need it right now. Maybe the better question is, when have we not felt that way? We get desperate. We call for help. And when God comes and He helps, we're grateful. But for some of us, that's it. That's the totality of our relationship with God. I'll call it a 911 relationship. We have this emergency and and we call out to God and He helps. And then we hang up the phone, if you will, until the next crisis occurs. Although God does help us and God loves us. He wants more for us than that. And that's the rest of the story for this man. Jesus doesn't leave when this man begins to see physically because Jesus wants him to also see spiritually. But first, this man has some other barriers to overcome. He's healed. And he goes back to the people for whom all of his life he had been seen as a beggar. He had heard their voices But now for the first time, he gets to see their faces. I'd imagine it's a lot like listening to a a DJ on the radio for years, and you get an occasion to maybe see this person. You think, huh, I didn't know that's what they looked like, beyond my expectations. This man must have had that same experience again and again. He saw all these people whom he had heard all of his life, and what he saw in their faces was doubt. They pointed at him and said, this is verse 8, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? (laughs) Some claimed that it was. Others said, no, no, it only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. Instead of everyone rejoicing that he can now see, he's having to argue with them that a miracle had in fact occurred in his life. This story suggests that there are two kinds of people in this world when it comes to an emergence of faith in our lives. When those first flames of faith begin to flicker, there are some who will gently fan those flames so that they ignite and grow and and get larger But then there are those others out there who are seemingly holding a bucket of water ready to douse those flames of faith. We all need more people in our lives who are there to fan the flames. That's what the church is supposed to be all about. Getting around those kinds of people are important. Well, 
Talk about those who would rather douse the flames, picking back up at verse 13. They brought to the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said about Jesus, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, well, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What do you have to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that he can now see? The Jewish religious leaders wouldn't even believe that he had been healed. They couldn't even believe a miracle had happened. Maybe he wasn't even blind from the beginning. They tried to write this whole thing off. They bring him in and they say, okay, tell us that Jesus is a sinner. They threatened to throw this man out of a synagogue which they eventually did because he said Jesus was the one who made him see. And all because of one thing. All because this miracle happened on the Sabbath. And the Sabbath was the day in which no one was supposed to work. And on that Sabbath, Jesus had to work to heal this man. You know what work he had to do? There was this law. And if you knew anything about these religious leaders, they literally tried to regulate everything. The law said that if you spit on the Sabbath, it's okay to spit on the rock, but it's not okay to spit on the ground. (laughs) If you spit on a rock, that's not work. But if you spit on the ground, you're making clay, that's work. (laughs) Isn't it easy for us to laugh at the little things that keep people from having faith But what about our little things? One little word of discouragement from someone and I don't have faith. One little habit I don't want to get rid of and I don't have faith that God can help me overcome. One little setback in life when things don't happen according to the way I think they should. It's amazing how little things keep us from having faith in a great God. But it happens to all of us. So in order to look past what others cannot see, you and I have to have a different kind of faith, the kind of faith that this man had. I love his answer to everyone. Verse 25, he replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. One thing I know. I was blind, but now I see. You can shout about it all you want, but here I am. I was blind, but now I see. And you can't say anything else about that. All your expectations can't change the fact, no matter how tightly you close your eyes, the truth is, there is light outside for me. I can see. Now notice where this story of faith happens. Not in some ideal world where everything is perfect. That's what heaven is all about. 
We live in a real world with real struggles. And real faith is putting your weight down in a real God in this real world. And finding out that even though I don't understand it all, God is there to give me the strength and the encouragement and the hope that I need. This man that Jesus healed, did you notice Jesus let him go through quite a bit? He made him go down to the pool, made him come back, made him suffer the accusations of friends and religious authorities, even allowed him to be thrown out of the synagogue. Why did Jesus allow him to go through all that? Why didn't Jesus, at the moment that he healed him, kind of put his arm around him and say, okay, look, here's what's going to happen to you. Because ultimately Jesus' most important concern for this man was not his comfort. It was also not the fact that he would be healed physically of blindness. Ultimately, what Jesus wanted was to show this man how to have faith. And so even through the struggles and difficulties, Jesus wanted this man to grow into a genuine faith. And by the end of the story, he has it. Verse 38, Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. That's what Jesus was working to do. How does this happen? How do you take that first step of commitment? How how do you trust Jesus to save you? Look at the very next verse, verse 39. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Here's what Jesus said. I have come in the world to give sight to those who are spiritually blind. And if I don't admit that I need him, then I'll never be able to see. Let me tell you something else Jesus said just three chapters later in John 12, verse 46. I have come as a light to shine in this dark world so that all who put their trust in me will no longer remain in darkness. That's what Jesus wants to do. And that light comes on. And we understand that Jesus is more than a wonderful man. He's more than a godly messenger. He is, in fact... God's light to this world. You see, Jesus didn't just share light with the world. He didn't tell light to the world. He said He is the light of the world. One final step toward that commitment is to say, Jesus, I want a relationship with you. Now, here's the thing. Jesus never forces his way into anyone's life. And because of that, I know many people who are one step short of of a full commitment to him. Maybe you've gained some understanding, but for some of you, now is the time to express your trust in him, to come to Jesus Christ and no longer live your life one step short of commitment. Some of you, you've asked for help from Jesus again and again, and he has. He's helped you in that marriage. He's helped you in that business. He's helped you make decisions. Jesus helped this blind man before that man even believed in Jesus. He's helped a lot of you before you ever trusted him. 
But now is the time. Now, right now, for you to say, I'm not going to look at him as a genie anymore, just as someone to help me when I'm struggling. I want to trust him. I want a relationship with him. Just like this man said, I believe. You say to him, I believe. Lord, I, I trust you. Maybe you're thinking right now, that's what I need to do. I see who Jesus is, and I'm willing to admit that I need more light in my life right now. Then today, commit your life to him and let Jesus do what only he can do. Maybe you pray a prayer, something like this, and it's not the words that are most important. It's the attitude of your heart. But maybe you say to him, Jesus, I see more clearly today than I ever have my need to trust in you. I need your forgiveness. I need your guidance. I want a relationship with you. I ask you to save me. I ask you to rescue me from my sins and my, self, my sense of hopelessness. Restore me to that relationship with you that brings joy and direction in my life. And I pray this in your name, amen. Those of you who have just said to Jesus, I want that kind of relationship with you, what an incredible step of faith you've just made. And that light is going to turn on and it's going to start showing up in your life in the days and weeks to come, slowly but surely. One final thing. Jesus brought life into the this man's life when he needed. The question is, how does Jesus bring light to the world today? Because there are a lot of dark places in this world. There are a lot of people struggling with hopelessness. A lot of people don't know where to turn next. There are a lot of people who are caught up in bitterness. Where are they going to get the light? Jesus uses you and me as believers, even those of you who for the first time just now received him, He's going to use you immediately as a light to this dark and scary world. You see, the smallest flicker of a candle in a dark room makes all the difference. Now, you may be sitting there with a little bit of fear and trepidation say, me? A light? I don't think so. I make a lot of mistakes. I don't have any answers, and I'm certainly not perfect. But you do have light when you've come to Jesus Christ. And that light changes the world, and it changes your corner of the world. And Jesus challenges us to be the light that the world needs. In fact, He said, you are the world's light. A city set on a hill, glowing in the night for all to see. Don't hide your light. Let it shine for all. We hope you found this message to be encouraging. We'd love for you to join us on Sunday mornings. Find us on Facebook and Instagram and at bhprez.org for more information.